there is something about Christmas Eve that seems unique to all other days, and, and, and I don't know if you experienced it or not, but for me, it's a day that's it's, uh, it's pregnant with wonder. It's pregnant with potential. It's pregnant with hope. It's filled with love. And, and I don't know if you would have sensed it tonight. I know many of you are guests. There's some of you here that maybe you know no one else in the whole crowd. But there's something about Christmas Eve, something about the unity that Jesus brings, that brings this sense of family. And one of my hopes tonight is that whoever you are and wherever you've come from, and if you're here seemingly all alone, is that you won't feel that way. Somehow the fact that that what Christmas Eve is all about, what it really means, is is that you will feel a sense of family. And even more than that, my hope and my prayer is that that you will sense the presence of Jesus in this place on this Christmas Eve. One of the most famous passages, most well-known passages about, about Christmas is the one that Ava read so well earlier this evening. It's the Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it says very profoundly, it begins by saying, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity And it will be the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies that will make this happen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. There are two things in that passage that I believe God wants every single person here to take away with tonight. And the first comes from the very first sentence. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That statement wasn't just made to Isaiah's generation. He wasn't saying to his generation, for unto us, just for them. He wasn't even merely saying to the generation of Jesus' birth, for unto us, for unto you, he comes. He was saying, as the Bible spells out throughout all the scripture, he was saying to all of mankind, for unto us, a child is given. Unto us, a son is given. He was saying for everyone in this room, he wasn't just speaking of the collection of humanity and saying all of humanity is worthy of my coming. He was saying for unto us in this very room and much more specifically and very profoundly, he was saying for unto you he came. He came unto you and he came unto me and it is staggering. Do you understand that we did nothing to deserve that? Uh, We're all broken, flawed, wounded, frail, fragile, mortal people. And the powerful, immortal Son of God came for you and came for me. Just surely the grace of God. Just God saying, uh, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, but I love you so much. I love you so much. The Father said, I'm going to send the Son for you. Not for the seven billion collectively, for you in this room today, for me, for unto us A child is born unto us, a son is given. And that is stunningly good news. The second thing he wants us to walk away with is that second sentence. It says, the government will rest on his shoulders. What does that mean? 
A government is an entity that has power and has authority and has rule. A government has, has power over people and authority over people and rule over people, right? In biblical times when this was written, governments were almost always kingdoms led by a king, and a king had all power and all authority and all rule. And, and this is saying that this child that's come for you and for me, this child has all power. The government will rest on his shoulders. And yet I think about the, the icon, maybe the best-known icon of Christmas to me and to you, is the nativity scene. I've seen them all over the Bay Area. seems like more this year than ever before. I love that. And the icon of the nativity has usually there's some form of a barn or, or some suggestion of a barn, and there's always Mary there, and there's always Joseph there, maybe some animals there. There's a manger there, and maybe or maybe not, you can see what's in the manger. But is it, is it the picture of power? No. We don't know what Jesus looked like, but I have a picture of a newborn infant And while maybe he didn't look exactly like this, he had the same powerlessness the day he was born that this infant had. So I thought it'd be worth just a few moments to reflect upon when Jesus took on this power. Obviously, he didn't have it that day, did he? When did he take on this power? John chapter 1 spells this out and so much more. And and I'll give you this. When when I read John 1 verses 1 through 4, the term word is used several times. And later on, John will say that when he uses the term word, he's referring to Jesus. And so when I read it, I'm going to plug Jesus in when that term word is there. So it'd be clear for us. This is what John would write. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. In other words, Jesus' life did not begin on Christmas Day. Or his existence didn't begin nine months prior to that at conception. John is writing, in the beginning, Jesus already existed. He's existed from eternity past. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Saying Jesus has existed from eternity past, and from eternity past up to, up to his conception and his birth, he had all power. Did you hear what this said? The entire universe was co-created by God the Father and God the Son. The one born Christmas Day, the one in the manger, created the entire universe. The millions and millions of galaxies, including the Milky Way galaxy in which we live, the one in the manger, the baby there, the infant, he created it. Our solar system, one of hundreds in the Milky Way, he created our solar system, all of it. Everything on planet Earth that you will ever see or touch or smell, he made all of it. Every single human being you will ever encounter was made by the baby in the manger, and you yourself were as well. He is the one that from eternity past, he had all power, and yet nine months before the first Christmas, he set aside the entirety of his power and became a human embryo and entered this planet. And nine months later, Christmas Day, he's this newborn infant, powerless, set aside all of his power. He lives out the first 30 years of his life very quietly. He begins this very public ministry at the age of 30, And he selectively then begins to use this divine power. There's a day that he will calm a raging sea with his divine power. There are at least two days he'll take a basket of food and feed thousands of people from a single basket of food. He'll give sight to the blind. 
They'll give hearing to the deaf. They'll give strong legs to the lame. They'll give new skin to the lepers. He would raise some from the dead. He would selectively show his power. And then very suddenly, for a window of 72 hours, once again, he set aside all power. And on Thursday, he allowed himself to be arrested and a trial to begin. And on a Friday, he would be crucified. And on a Saturday, he would be laid dead in a grave. For 72 hours, he set aside all power. But on Sunday, but on Sunday, he rose back to life again. And he took all power on himself. He would say in Matthew 28, 18 to his followers, after the resurrection, he would say, all power in heaven and on earth is given me. All power in heaven and on earth is given to me. And, and the one who has come for you is the one who has all power. He, and that is good news, friends. That is extremely good news. I want to talk with you this Christmas Eve about two of the ways he uses that power. There are many more, but I want to talk with you about two of the ways Jesus uses that power. One of the ways is he uses his power to shape the events of your life. Jesus uses his power to shape the events of your life. There are times that, that he intervenes and intersects in the history of your life and changes events and circumstances. 24 years ago, we'd just gotten past Christmas, 1991, 24 years ago, for months and months of persistent promptings of God for me to, to leave an oil business career, go to seminary, become a pastor. We finally were making the change to do that. We were, we'd sold nearly all of our possessions. We'd gone through Christmas celebration. We were packing the remaining possessions we owned. It, it dawns on us that our, our oldest son, Justin, We'll be now moving to another town. I just made a corporate move seven months before. He's in second grade. It's middle of the school year. He's been in public school life for a year and a half. He's about to enter his third school in his third town. And we're packing our bags, realizing I'm about to enter a three-year intensive program. And in three years, Christmas will come. We'll be packing our bags and going to a fourth town in a fourth school in the middle of a school year. And Marie and I's parents, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. Marie and I's parents were thinking, oh, isn't there a way to make it easier for our kids? If you're a parent, don't you feel that way? Life is hard enough without them having to suffer more because of your life, right? And so we found ourselves struggling. Is there some way that the next move could be in the summertime at the end of a school year? And I looked at the curriculum, and it was so intense, there was no way to accelerate it from three years to two and a half, and, and that wouldn't work. And, and we had, we'd cashed out nearly everything we owned. We, we took one car with us, and, and a minimal of furniture is all we had left. And we had a budget for three years that was on the razor's edge. And there was, there was no room. There was no margin. There was no, no chance of five more months of living expenses to make out the end of a school year. And so we, we head off and we just, we just accept that's just the plight that we'll have. And, and it's not that big a deal, is it? A lot of you in this room, you're, you're dealing with something much worse than that right now. Right? It's not that big a deal. So several months pass, and the phone rings, and it's my former oil company. And the man on the line says, we're, I'm calling to tell you that there's a check in the mail to you because we're giving you a bonus. And, and it crossed my mind, do they realize I don't work there anymore? I haven't been there for months. And so I made some such comment. I said, well, I'm, I'm shocked that you are because I haven't worked there for several months now. 
In fact, I, I can't believe that you're giving me a bonus. And, and I, I had worked for the company 15 years. I knew the company very well. My company just did not do something as ridiculous as that. And so I say to him, I can't believe you're giving me a bonus. And I'm hoping he'll say, but you were so good. <laughs> and he didn't say that. He said, I can't believe we're doing it either. It's a short conversation. I didn't press him for the details about that. Short conversation in three or four days, the check comes in the mail, and I look at the check, and, and the, after the withholdings, the net amount of the check was the exact amount to live five more months. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, have no doubt about it, is upon his shoulders. All power is his. Man, this was, this was when we first began to wrestle with this, and had nothing that we could do to solve the problem. It's 1991. There had been a war in the Middle East that the U.S. had been part of that had just been completed. There were immense tensions in the Middle East. There were big problems in the world. The AIDS epidemic was sweeping across the planet unabated. There were big issues for a big God. I could have, it'd be easy to understand if he came for seven billion, but he came for you and he came for me. And the government is upon his shoulders. A few of you in this room were at FCC in 2002 and 2003. We were a young church. We were a small church. We'd been worshiping in schools, several schools, as a matter of fact, packing trailers, unloading trailers. We'd finally bought uh, this cow pasture that we're now sitting on right now. And joyful to buy it, and uh, we had done immense due diligence about it. We had several people that were experts in, in land acquisition and so forth. We were involved. We'd done just deep, deep due diligence. We buy the property. One of the men that we had talked with about drainage issues, we had seen as an expert, we talked with multiple times, came to us right after we bought the property. And he said, now that you bought the property, I guess I should tell you that you can never develop it. We asked why. He said, because it can never be drained. And he, he described there were there are a thousand details, but in essence, it boils down to, he says, it's too flat, and it's flat with all the surrounding adjacent properties, and because it's in this one small drainage district with very unusual drainage district rules in it, that, that it can never be developed because it can never be drained properly. Others have tried it. That's why it's still a cow pasture. And my first question was, why didn't you tell us the first time we talked to you, or the second or the third? Why didn't you tell us then? And he said, it just seemed like now was the right time. And I had really bad thoughts about that man. <laughs> Why? Why didn't you tell us? And yet we had bought it, and like we're followers of Jesus. We're not allowed to do anything, right? So we just have the land. And so I was out here on this land, probably standing about where we're sitting, where you're sitting right now, someplace in this area. And having a conversation with God and saying, I am so sorry, I guess we didn't hear you right. We prayed a whole lot. And we thought that we had a green light to buy this land, but obviously we were mistaken. I am so sorry, but now we own the land. If you were us, what would you do? And it wasn't an audible voice, but what I heard was as clear as any audible voice that I have ever heard. God said, I would move a mountain. It's too flat. I would move a mountain. And in my frustration, I flippantly said, easy for you to say you're God. <laughs> and the next moment, I remember Jesus' words in Matthew 17, 20, when he said, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. 
And I understood he was saying, if this church has enough faith, there'll be a mountain moved, and there'll be a church built, and drainage will happen. Do you know how much it costs to move a mountain? I'll give you a clue. I know a lot of Texans that would love to have mountains on the Gulf Coast. And I've known some really, really wealthy Texans, but none of them have had enough money to buy the mountains of Colorado and move them to Texas. It cost a fortune to move a mountain. And yet, weeks after that prayer on this property, we had a contract with a company for pennies on the dollar to move a mountain here. And in fact, I've got a couple of slides of dump trucks, 5,000 dump trucks of dirt for about three weeks on 528, dump trucks is all you saw. Some of you were probably thinking badly about us for those three weeks, but 5,000 dump truck loads. We had to raise the entire footprint of the buildings, the entire footprint of, of the parking area, three to four feet. Many, many acres, three to four feet. In fact, if it were daylight and you walked outside the doors as you leave and you looked in this direction, you would see the fall off to the normal property level. In fact, now this is one of the highest elevations now in the entire city of Friendswood. And, and it dawned on us on the Gulf Coast, if there's a rise of elevation of three or four feet, that constitutes a mountain for us, doesn't it? And so now around here, we call this place Mustard Seed Mountain now. I say, for unto us, not just the seven billion, I for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And make no doubt about it, the government is upon his shoulders. And he uses his power to shape the events of our lives. I don't mean to imply he uses them just to make life easy for us. But out of deep love for us, when it's the best thing for us, he uses his power to shape the events of our lives. He intervenes, he intersects in our lives. He also uses his power to shape our very lives. He uses his power to shape our very lives if we've put our lives underneath his government. If we put our lives underneath his leadership and his rule, he uses his power to shape our very lives. A few weeks back, we, were, uh, we had a bunch of names out in the lobby for something called Angel Tree. Many of you are familiar with it. It's a ministry for the children of men and women that are in prison, and, and also for some spouses who have spouses in prison as well. And the ministry is that uh, people, families from here or individuals from here uh, took names of kids or of adults and went out and bought Christmas presents for them, brought them back. In fact, I think uh, here we provided for 150 adults and for 200 children. We've done it for years, done other ministries, compassion ministries in the last two months as well. It's just one of them. But, but it's to provide these Christmas gifts, each one taken individually to a child or to a spouse and said, Merry Christmas, these are given out of the love of Christ. And by the way, as good as these gifts might seem, the best gift of all is Jesus who came for you. And so we've been doing that for several years, but very few people know the roots of that ministry. And the roots of it surprisingly come out of, of the worst scandal of the United States government in the entire 20th century. That's the roots of Angel Tree. The Watergate scandal, President Richard Nixon was impeached, removed from office. One of the people of his inner circle was named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was his special counsel. Colson was known as a brilliant, ruthless man. He was known as, widely known as Nixon's hatchet man. That meant if they wanted to to ruin someone's life, usually an innocent person's life, so they could roll, you know, run over someone with power, 
Colson was the one to do it. He ruined the lives, he wrecked the lives of innocent people and didn't blink twice at it. And he was deeply involved in the cover-up of Watergate. So uh, he was the very first one of Nixon's inner circle that would be convicted and sent to prison. In, the, in his fall, a friend came to Colson and said to Colson, Jesus Christ came to this planet for you and died for you to forgive your sins and give you a new life. And gave Colson a book by C.S. Lewis titled Mere Christianity. Colson took it with him, read it, and he would write later that at the end of reading it, the lights came on for him that everything he'd ever heard from the Bible about Jesus was true. Became convinced that Jesus is the risen Son of God. And even he believed, he was bold enough to believe that Jesus had died even for his sins. And there was a day that he prayed out to Jesus, would you forgive even my sins? Would you lead my life? Can I put myself under your government? Can I live for you? And Colson would write, in that moment, there was a stunning sense of forgiveness. And he found himself with his heart being turned right side up. He would get out of prison, and is often the case with prisoners who get out, they just go back to prison again. And Colson did, but he went back voluntarily. He went back to tell other prisoners about this love and forgiveness and new life in Jesus. And he went back again and again to profound effect. And some of Colson's friends saw what he was doing, and they asked if they could go with him as well. So they began to go with him, and the numbers grew. By 1976, Colson said, there's so many of us now, I need to give this thing a name. I need to put some organization around it. He called it Prison Fellowship. Prison Fellowship was formed in 1976. The 40th anniversary is just about to come up. Right now, Prison Fellowship is going into prisons, telling people about Jesus in 125 nations. 50 states in this nation, over 1,400 prisons. They touched directly over 200,000 prisoners with 11,000 volunteers. And the entire message is, can I tell you about Jesus who came for you? And he died for you to forgive your sins and give you a brand new life. And somewhere along the way, Chuck Colson realized there were these forgotten, innocent victims of these crimes. And it wasn't someone who had their house robbed or someone who was wounded or injured. It was the children of these prisoners, the innocent children of these prisoners who, who now had a father or a mother, in some cases both that were in prison. In some cases, there was a spouse left behind by one who's in prison. And Colson said, what if we were to, to rally some people and do it specifically at Christmas time? We were to buy Christmas gifts for them and, and take it to them one by one and deliver these gifts and say, but the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ coming for you. He's come for you. So this year, while we participated, there were 2.7 million children that had Christmas gifts taken to them and were told, Jesus came for you. The hatchet man, Chuck Colson, the hatchet man, the one who spent the first decades of his life destroying the lives of innocent people would spend the remaining decades restoring the lives of guilty people. And Jesus Christ uses his power to, to shape and remake and remold the lives of those who put themselves under his leadership. There is, there's this incredible news. There, there is one who has all power, and that one is good. He is perfectly good, and he has come for you. The only question is, 
Have you put yourself under his government? Have you put yourself under his leadership, under his rule? There are many in this room that have. And my hope would be this Christmas Eve as you're hearing this, that you would be blown away all over again. Oh my God, like the God of the universe came for me. And there was a day that I said to him, like Colson did, I said, would you forgive even my sins? Would you lead my life? And he forgave my sins and he took me under his leadership. And he's given me a new, I hope you would be blown away again. I hope, I hope you have trouble going to sleep tonight. I will. I, mean, I won't be asleep till somewhere in the wee hours of the morning with just the, just, how can you sleep with news like this? And a lot of you know it. A lot of you have been living it. But I know there are a lot of you here that until tonight, you've never put yourself under the government of Jesus, the one who has all power, the one that came for you, the one that is perfectly good. Until tonight, you've never done that. But, but he, would, he would invite you to make this the night, this Christmas Eve to make this the night. This would be your night. In the whisper of a prayer, you would say to him, would you forgive even my sins? Could I live under your good government? Could I live under your leadership? Would you give me leadership of, of my life? And if you were to pray that prayer tonight, there would be a brand new life that would begin this night. It would, it would dramatically begin this night. And yes, there'd be much to learn and there'd be much going to be done and you'd have to find a church to plug into, whether it's this one or another one and, and a whole lot of growing to be done, but, but it would begin this night. I can't help but think that some of you are here. He has you here for such a time as this to realize he came for you and he's good and he has all power and you were made to live under his good government. But then I know there's some of you here that this is so foreign. This is so strange. You're so far, so far from whispering that prayer. But my hope is, my prayer has been, that for you, that there be something, something stirred in you tonight. Some curiosity, some question of what if, could it really be true? And if that's happening within you, then this is what I would suggest of you. With an upside as big as this, I would suggest you take the first several weeks of the new year and you investigate this. You just try to figure this out. And you, you come to this church or another church and, and you you explore, you check out and see if this is really real. My prayer has been, for those of you that are, you're just not anywhere close to that prayer, is you would walk away thinking, what if it's true? And you would decide, I'm going to take the first several weeks of the brand new year. I'm going I'm to see if this is really true. I'm going to see if it's really true. 2,700 years ago, words that still rock the world and rock souls. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And make no doubt about it, the government rests upon his shoulders. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Father, for your love. Thank you so much for sending your son to this planet 2,000 years ago and not sending him to just a broad, cumulative base of people but you sent him for every single person on the planet, every single person in this room, you sent him for us. And Father, thank you so much that, that along with you, he has all power. And along with you, he is all good. Thank you for all the ones in this room, Father, that, 
that have known this new life under Jesus' government for a long time and, and can celebrate and bask in it and sense the wonder, even the fresh wonder, even now. Father, in, I'm praying that in this time, some in this room will be whispering the same prayer that Chuck Colson did and that I have and hundreds of others in this room have, be whispering this prayer, Jesus, would you forgive even my sins? And could I live under your good government? Could I live under your leadership? That's my heart's desire. And, and you will invite them under your government in a heartbeat. And a new life, a new life begins tonight with every whispered prayer such as that. And others, Father, I pray that you've planted this seed in their hearts and minds, this seed of, of the what if. And they'll realize if it's true, the upside is so big all they can do is chase it and find out if it's true. Because you say, if we chase it, we'll find it. If we look, we'll find it. If we seek, we find. Father, my heart is filled with joy and thanksgiving and anticipation. I pray all this with high expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.